Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I'm sitting down with Suzanne Boothby. It was really fun to talk to her as we went through the same health coach program and are very like-minded. Suzanne is a freelance writer who started her career as fact checker for the award-winning investigative magazine, Mother Jones, and has gone on to cover everything from foraging green juice ingredients to the hidden costs of conventional agriculture. She is the author of The After Cancer Diet and has helped pen many successful nonfiction books. She is a proud graduate of Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. Her most recent projects include co-authoring Superman's Not Coming, Our National Water Crisis, and What We, the People, Can Do About It with Erin Brockovich, and writing and editing Erin's newsletter, The Brockovich Report. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Suzanne. But before I do, just a reminder to head over to my website, at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Hi, Haley. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I wanted to hear just a little bit about you, your background, and how you or why you decided to write the After Cancer Diet. I found out that we're both IIN grads, which for people that don't know, that's the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Gosh, I'll try to tell the short (laughs) version, but... um, I went to journalism school, so I always had an interest in telling people stories, uh, research, that kind of thing. Um, I mentioned in the book, and he's a co-author, but my dad is a cancer physician. So I sort of grew up in a household with my dad coming home and some days just kind of being sad and realizing like, oh, he works with women with cancer and he had a patient die that day. You know, like that was a real thing for me. Um, as well as, you know, like so many people in our country, you know, my Nana died of cancer. I have an aunt that had breast cancer, like, you know, all of our lives are touched by cancer. So, um, the way I came to write the book, the after cancer diet was actually, um, also kind of unusual because, um, a, at the time, I guess, I think they still are like, they're an online publisher of books came to me and said, Hey, we would love, um, we see that you write a lot about health and wellness and, uh, we'd love you to write a book. Do you have any ideas? And, you know, for years I had this little idea in my head of like, you know, we do so much around prevention or talking a little bit about cancer, but actually, um, at that time. And of course now still, you know, we have a lot more people who actually survive cancer, um, as you know. <laughs> and I thought, well, gosh, you know, and I had seen this one study, um, which I put in the book, which was just about how sort of the same things that prevent are also really good after cancer, because, you know, living that kind of a healthier lifestyle will sort of help you have less potential recurrence and all that kind of stuff. So, that was just, it was just this little idea in my head. And, you know, somebody approached me about a book and that was like the one idea. So I, so I went with it and I was, and I was excited because I really loved the idea of sort of working with my dad a little bit, having like a physician to sort of read and make sure all my research was on point and all that good stuff. And I had, I had gone to IN in 2006 and then my dad also went through the program. Um, And so that was a really fun thing for him to kind of get to see some of that stuff in action as well. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So from being a conventional 
doctor to looking more at the holistic approach. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, and he still does like, you know, he does perform surgery, but he is a very chatty doctor is what I like to say that, you know, he'll actually have a conversation with his patients. If they come to him with questions around diet nutrition, like he actually has things to say and, you know, will listen and, and try to guide them as best he can. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, what really instantly got me excited about your book is because I was in that place where I was finished with treatment and I'm thinking what's next and no one had advice for me. I mean, I, the doctor basically said, go back to living your normal life and I'll see you in three months. And, you know, I just wasn't satisfied with that. I'm thinking I want to be proactive. I don't want to wait. So that's really when I got into health and nutrition. So having a book like this is just so, so important. Mm, That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people like you. And again, yeah, the, you know, I, um, I recently had a health event about two years ago where I did have to have surgery and I feel, um, not grateful for (laughs) having to have that, but recognizing that we do have a wonderful Western medicine model that, you know, when you get hit by a car, if you need a tumor removed, like we have people that can do that and they can do it very well. What's lacking is of course, this other conversation around holistic health and, you know, and you, and we have certain practitioners, whether, you know, you're going to Chinese medicine or massage Ayurveda, we have these great wellness practitioners Um, but it's hard to kind of sort through both. And that's always been just an interest of mine is sort of trying to figure out like, what's the best from each place and how can we sort of bring these together and, you know, each of us sort of create our own sort of healthcare plan for ourselves. (laughs) Cause you know, I recently was at, um, I, you know, I just, I'm in my forties now and I just got a mammogram and I was very shocked by that process. It was very sterile, there's not any kind of conversation around breast health. <laughs> like, you know, it's a very strange experience. And, you know, and so it got me sort of talking to some of my friends who are also, you know, 40s and 50s, like, what do you do? And what, you know, just sort of having these conversations and starting to research and be more interested, right? As we go through these various stages of life. Yes, that's so important. And you're right. It's so sterile and, you know, almost. I don't want to say scary, but it's just, it's not comforting no. at all. <laughs> and it's very like you're in and you're out, you're a number and you, you have your moment and no one's really talking to you about anything other than, you know, what I thought was pretty scary is that they said for first time folks getting mammograms, um, it's about 40% of people that need to come back and do more testing because sometimes they just don't find. And I thought, gosh, here we are in 2021, like we have so much technology and yet like there's still all of these um, things that, you know, may not work. And I, and, I, and I have plenty of friends who, you know, have been through breast cancer that, you know, actually it wasn't detected on the mammogram. And so, of course, there are these other things that we can do. And I know some holistic people are not into the, getting the mammogram and there's, you know, there's ultrasound, there's other ways to do it. Um, exactly. I kind of, Thermography. Yeah. But I know a lot of people are. Yeah. And, you know, I felt like, well, let me just get my baseline and see, you know, if there's, if they find anything. And then from there, I do kind of want to develop a plan for myself in the future, because, you know, we're all living in this world with stress and toxins. And, you know, we all have moments where we don't sleep well, especially again, as we get older, you know, our hormones change, sleep patterns change. Um, You know, it's really interesting. I was, before we got on the call, I was thinking about this book because I wrote it in 2011, I was 33. And, you know, it's just a totally different moment of life and health. And, you know, a lot of the recommendations I would maintain, but there's just different things when you have these different moments of life. Yes. Yes. I know. I'd love to hear that. I think so many great things do apply how you tell your readers to start with their mindset when they are choosing food. Think of it as self-care that each meal is, is taking care of yourself and, I love that because I think people think it's so hard to change your diet, but if you think of it in that way, that you're nourishing yourself, it just puts it in a whole new perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have much more awareness again in the last decade around 
Um, and you know, I love health and wellness, but there, we do also have this whole diet culture issue where, and particularly for women where we're potentially trying to, you know, change the way we eat in order to, you know, manipulate the size of our body in some way. Um, and that can, you know, and, and I've had moments of that in my own life, you know, I I've had moments of, you know, I was actually a vegetarian and vegan and, you know, not to say that those diets are good or bad, but I think all of us can sort of get into a place of like, oh, if I only eat this, like I'll be so clean or my body will feel so fresh and energized. And, you know, and the truth is like, sometimes the most nourishing thing you can do is have a piece of cake on your birthday or have some pizza with friends, right? Like it's, you know, you have to find that balance and find, you know, and I think particularly anyone who has been through, you know, a cancer journey may have guilt around, you know, past choices with their food or, you know, thinking that there was something that happened, you know, internally that might've caused that. And, and so it's so important to kind of come back to the celebration of like, wow, we have bodies <laughs> and they're so beautiful in all shapes and sizes. And, and what is the best way to nourish my body at, diff- you know, each day, really that's, you know, I think one of the things that was so uh, important to me in writing the book and in, anytime I talk about health and wellness is just, thinking about each day as a new day, not like this particular formula, you know, there's all these diets out there of, you know, eat this, not that, eat all these different, you know, you know, if you eat less carbs or more this, and, um, you know, I think some of those things can work some of the time, but really there's something really powerful about just tuning into your body and realizing, okay, what am I really craving? What do I need? Um, exactly. And there isn't one diet that's right for everyone. Yeah. And so there isn't we, one diet that's right for one person all the time. <laughs> yes. We go through phases. Our bodies change. I, wa- I wanted to ask you about refined oils because I know you talked about that in the book. And that's such a big thing because people think like, okay, if it's made from a plant, sunflower oil, but that that's healthy and um, even canola oil. So I just wanted you to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I'm, it's interesting. So of course the things we choose to write about, um, I'm particularly sensitive to oils. So I just have noticed like, there's a wonderful um, vegan restaurant in Manhattan that I used to eat at. And every time I would eat there, I would get a stomach ache and I couldn't understand. And I don't know for sure. Like, I don't know what they're using, but I have a sense that it's probably the oils that were causing uh, some stomach upset for me. And so I think, you know, some of us are more sensitive to others when it comes to, to different types of food, but you know, I based a lot of that research, I think on, um, Dr. Mark Hyman, he talks a lot about sort of the good fats, the bad fats, the ugly fats. Um, you know, when I was going through integrative nutrition in 2006, there was a huge conversation around, um, trans fats. And of course, um, you know, we regulated them and we got them mostly out of, um, even processed foods at this point, you know, I think there's still some, some outliers, but in general, you know, those are fats that we just know lead to heart disease, inflammation on the body, that kind of thing. Yeah. When it comes to the vegetable oils, I mean, there's so many different schools of thought with it. Um, but in general, I think that these oils are very susceptible to heat, to light, to having something go awry. They can become rancid very easily and it's very hard to detect that. And so, I think that's one of the reasons why I just try to stay away. They're just not as stable as like a butter or a coconut oil. Um, Those are kind of my two preferred fats. I also love like good old fashioned bacon grease (laughs) if I have it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That may not be for everybody. I understand that, you know, some folks have to be more sensitive around um, the types of oils, but I just find that some of those more stable fats uh, work really well for my body. Um, and in general, that's sort of what the research says. Um, you know, you'll find some folks say vegetable oils are okay, but you know, canola oil is a great example of something that um, it's sometimes hard to find organic. And so you're also looking at potential pesticides in, in the oil, things that are just unwanted and, and not ideal for a body that's trying to heal. Um, you know, there's a whole school of thought that's like, don't eat any fat and that's the whole thing. So, um, you know, and, and I, again, I think it just comes back to what does your body need at this time now, you know, in general, you know, our micronutrients are kind of needed, you know, that sort of 
we kind of love our sort of protein, fat, um, and carbohydrates, but you know, everybody, I think, again, it really depends on what's going on for you. How active are you? Um, you know, are you trying to regrow hair? Like fats are really wonderful for your skin, for <laughs> hair, you know, that kind of nourishment, um, you know, and also seasonally, right? Like when we go into winter, that is a time for kind of more fats, keeping our body warm um, versus in summer, you know, you lighten up a little bit, you might have more olive oils on your salads and that kind of thing. So it really just depends. Again, I, I really do try to tune into all those different parts to, to try to figure out what to put on my plate that day. <laughs> yeah. That's so smart. And eating seasonally, you know, in the winter, you want more soups and, and warm foods. And then in the summer, just those cool foods, smoothies, that kind of thing. Yes. I, I grew cucumbers this summer and I just was eating at least two cucumbers a day and it was lovely. Oh, that's so <laughs> great. I had a garden for the first time this year and it was so much fun. Yes, I loved yes. it. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I had, I knew a little bit about seasonal food, but I, um, when I was in my early twenties, I, I lived in New Zealand for a year and I, it was just, I think I might tell the story in the book, but I had this funny moment where it was, it was November and my friends that were, you know, Kiwis there, I said, Hey, I want to make you guys like a traditional Thanksgiving meal. Like, you know, this is what we do in the States. And they were like, great, great, great. And I go to the grocery store with my list of all our, you know, fall foods, which again, now I'm in the Southern hemisphere. So it's actually spring, not fall. And, um, and they just didn't have certain foods at the grocery store. And it really, uh, at the time was mind blowing for me. I was like, oh, right. Like this isn't the season for these foods. And it wasn't like I was at the farmer's market. I was just at the regular grocery store and it really hit home for me that, oh, right. Like we have these growing seasons, they're connected. And, you know, these foods, the, the planet sort of decides what foods are best for us. And we should probably listen. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. I wanted to ask you, what do you feel is a good post-prevention diet? I mean, like we just said, it varies for everyone, but just the basics. Yeah. Um, I think I talked about it a little bit in the book too, but there are, I mean, there's a lot of different theories um, but I think in general, working to up the level of fruits and vegetables, that's sort of a kind of basic thing. I love berries. There's a ton of antioxidants. They're low in sugar. Um, they're really easy to digest. You know, I think, again, each person, it's going to be so specific to, you know, what kind of treatment did you have? How are you feeling afterward? I think for some folks, just being able to fuel your body with whatever food to sort of bring some weight back or to, you know, feel more energy, get into balance, you know, start there if that's where you're at. But then of course, as you go along, yeah, I think you can start to look at all these different parts of, you know, both nutrition, but also your lifestyle, right? I think so much of cancer is also connected to our stress and to our lifestyle and, you know, particularly women, we love to give to everyone else and so you know, our children and our partners and our <laughs> extended family. And, you know, I think I've, a lot of the cancer survivors that I've spoken with, that's something that is also such a big change for them is, is trying to really come back to that self-care for themselves. Um, you know, I talk about in the book a little bit, which I still think is a really wonderful formula, but this kind of like greens, grains, protein. Um, and so, you know, again, it could be any kind of sort of vegetable, you know, whatever is your protein of choice, whether that's fish, you know, more heavy animal meat, or of course you have our tempeh, tofu, et cetera, depending on how you feel about soy, that's a whole conversation. Yes. Um, and then of course, you know, carbohydrates, which, you know, in the US, it's so easy when you're eating out. I think that looks like a lot of bread or potatoes, but in fact, there's all kinds of grains to consider, explore um, that can also give you a more sort of sustained fuel throughout the day. Um, again, whether that's sweet potatoes, whether that's some form of rice or buckwheat, or, you know, there's so many fun things to play with. And so, you know, rather than again, giving folks a specific formula, I just sort of encourage everyone to explore new foods. How do they make your body feel? You know, are you feeling energized? Do you, you know, are you eating enough food? Maybe you need to eat less food, right? All these things are all part of that conversation. I agree. Just really staying in tune with your body and realizing what makes you feel good. What, what 
doesn't give you energy. Now, yeah, I want to go back. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like, cause we learned so much at integrative nutrition, right? Our nutrition school talks about like, is coffee good or bad? Are eggs good or bad? Right. There's all these conversations that are out there. And so again, the only way you could possibly know the answers is for yourself to sort of experiment, you know, in some cases it might help to keep a little food journal or something to just sort of tune in, help yourself understand what's feeling good. You know, some folks drink coffee and it, and they love it. And, you know, there's antioxidants. There's a lot of great research that talks about how coffee is good for the body. You know, if you're kicking back for Starbucks, maybe that's too much, <laughs> you know, so you got to find that right thing. You know, I'm someone that tends to be sort of caffeine sensitive. So I'm either having four ounces of real coffee, decaf coffee, matcha tea, even better <laughs> black tea, right? Like, but that's my personal, you know, makeup, you know, for somebody else, you know, my dad can drink a cup of coffee at 9 PM and be fast asleep at 9. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. I cannot do that. Yeah. <laughs> and that brings me to other liquids, water, because water obviously is so important and to stay hydrated. Uh, but people have trouble drinking enough water. I know you had some good tips in there as well. Of yes. what, what you can do. Hydration is so important to our bodies. Um, I think so many people are dehydrated and don't realize that, you know, if you're drinking a soda or even kombucha, quite frankly, a lot of us health folks go a little nuts on the kombucha. Um, and that's, you know, it's fine to have different liquids. I'm not going to say any food is good or bad, but you do want to really make sure that you're getting um, water and getting good quality water. So, um, you know, I obviously wrote a whole book about um, tap water in this country, so I won't go into all of the crazy things, but I will say, you know, for most people living in most parts of the world, you want to have some kind of filter, access to spring water. You really want to look at, um, you know, how you might improve um, the quality of water that you're drinking. So it's both quantity and quality. Um, I personally work with a trainer right now who, um, who taught me this thing, which I love, which is just to basically the number of ounces of water you can drink is based on your weight, like just half of your weight. So if you're a 150 pound person, 75 ounces of water is your goal, you know, and, and that might include a little bit of herbal tea and, you know, listen, if you have a glass of wine, then you'd want to have an extra little glass of water, right? There's, there's some, some things within that formula that you want to pay attention to, but I also think it's really important. Um, and so many folks forget this, but really to drink water first thing in the morning, you know, we've been asleep, hopefully eight hours if we, <laughs> if we've done it right. Um, and you really want to, I really try to kind of hydrate more early in the day and sort of taper my fluids toward the end of the day. And it also helps me as I'm getting older to not have to get up to go to the bathroom a bunch of times in the middle of the night. So um, I think timing of your water can also be a really great little lifestyle hack to help you stay hydrated and feeling good and also feeling energized. You know, sometimes I'll start to feel a little off in my day or because I've been going, going, going. And then I look like, oh my gosh, my water is full. <laughs> let me, let me take a moment and drink some water. Or like I said, make a little herbal tea, um, just have a little moment to breathe, drink some water. It's a, it's a great way to sometimes pump up your energy. And sometimes that can avoid, you know, some of us will go for a sort of sugary snack or something like that. And sometimes you just need to drink some water. <laughs> exactly. You think you're hungry, but you're really thirsty. And I love to take my water to bed with me just so I have it first thing in the morning. So, yeah. you know, or if I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I could just take one sip, you know, just yeah. to, yeah. to hydrate because yeah. you are so dehydrated at night. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great habit to get into. Yeah. And also, you know, some folks really struggle with like, they just don't love the taste of water. And so I, I also sort of encourage, you know, whatever it takes, whether it's a squeeze of lemon or lime, some people use like a tart cherry juice or a tart cranberry, like, you know, you just add a little pinch of that to your water. You know, you could put some frozen berries at the bottom. If it's garden season, you could put some fresh mint in there, you know, I love doing that. have fun, you know, it doesn't have to be, I think, you know, and it, I am, I'm happy to see that there is more options available. I feel like there's now a lot of, um, you know, flavored, um, seltzers and, and sort of fun things again, like maybe as an alcohol alternative, or maybe, you know, sometimes I love in the afternoon, if I've had some good 
regular water, like have a little sparkling water just to kind of make it fun in the afternoon if you need Right, just squeeze some lime. So that brings me to your work with Erin Brockovich and the book you co-authored, and I'm going to read it because it's long, (laughs) Superman's Not Coming, Our National Water Crisis and What People Can Do About It. So I know, I would think most of my audience knows about Erin Brockovich, can you just explain how, one, how did you get involved with her and just a little bit about this book? You touched on it for sure. And I think it's so important because when it comes to cancer, clean water is so important. So important. And yeah, so, um, so Aaron Brockovich, so it's interesting. So I graduated journalism school in 2000, which is the year that the Aaron Brockovich movie came out. Um, and so I was very inspired by her. She was always one of my heroes. And, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, cause I know there's some younger folks who are not as familiar, but, um, you know, her story is that she is, was just a single mom who worked for a law firm. She was not a paralegal or, or a lawyer. She just worked at the agency, but there was a community in Hinkley, California, which is just outside of LA. Um, and P, they, PG&E is their, uh, power provider, but they had um, basically were poisoning the town, (laughs) the water, not necessarily realizing it, although, of course, later found out, okay, they did know about this. Um, But it was a huge legal case. She won like over 300 million. Well, not she, but the the town (laughs) and the case. uh, It was like the largest legal settlement at the time. Um, And it was a huge, you know, it was a huge deal. She, um, you know, worked with that community to understand what everybody was going through. And, you know, most, what I think is so interesting about water cases and water contamination in general is that most of these cases are actually health clusters, health problems, right? And so we don't always discover the environmental toxins. We discover, oh my gosh, all these people have cancer. All these people have weird thyroid problems or digestive problems. Um, And that's how a lot of people find Aaron. And so the movie came out in 2000. And what happened was that people... Um, because of the movie, um, started emailing her in the thousands. I mean, it was just wild that, you know, we all kind of think, oh, it's this one poor town and, oh, there was this bad water contamination and then, you know, it got fixed. Um, And in fact, first of all, the the water contamination there did not get fixed, even with the law settlement, which is pretty common. Um, They're still dealing with a huge plume in that community. And it, and it really ruined that whole town. There's no longer a school. There's no longer a post office, you know, the whole town went through it. And, um, but what we're finding and, you know, Aaron's been around since, um, you know, the case actually was in the mid nineties, you know, and then the movie came out later. And so she's been involved in this work for almost 30 years and, Water contamination is a huge problem in this country. Um, and now that I work with her, um, you know, I worked with her on the book. Um, we got connected because we have the same agent and I had done all this research around cancer and health and wellness. And, you know, I think the book is really about that. It's really a story about our health, not necessarily about the water, because, of course, we are water, right? We all drink water every day. We need it to live. Um, and, you know, I think most people who have had cancer will understand this, that, you know, you can eat every green smoothie in the world, but if your water is contaminated with something that, you know, is, can cause cancer, you're not going to have a shot, you know, and that really, really um, makes my blood boil and makes me get up every morning and do the work that I do, because I think it's so important to, you know, have people be aware of these problems and also to sort of learn how to deal with them. And so the book is, is a little bit of Erin's story since the movie came out and all the different communities that she's worked with. And there's also just a lot of action tips in terms of how people can get involved and understand, you know, your water system locally and sort of the big picture on a national level and, and kind of learn some of these sort of main toxins that we find in the water. So I know a lot of people are going to be curious just how you got involved with her, how that happened. Right. Oh, I said, so I said that I have an agent and she has an agent and it's the same person. (laughs) She connected us, which is sort of, but, but I think because of the work that I've been doing, um, you know, researching cancer, working on health, I've been writing different articles, you know, I think all of that sort of helped them choose me, so so to say, but Aaron and I also, you know, we met and it was just sort of like, we instantly clicked and really got each other. 
Um, you know, I, as, as, along with writing about health and wellness, I've always kind of had an activist streak. And so I really loved like her thing. Like Erin is not like, she doesn't have a PhD. She doesn't have a legal degree. You know, she's just a person who cares about the world and she's very people oriented. And I think I just learn from her every day about how we can all just talk to one another and just learn more about what's going on for one another and sort of use that leverage of people to make the changes that we need in this world. And of course, you know, we're all seeing whether it's climate change, whether there's water contamination, you know, there's just a huge upheaval in this country right now. We have a lot of problems and a lot of stress. And um, I think there's a lot of power in each of us sort of getting together, talking to one another um, and trying to make the changes that we need to see. Yes, I'm so grateful that, that you both did write this book. How do people find out what is in their drinking water? I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah. So actually every July, um, if you have a municipal water system, so if you live in a, in a town that has municipal water, there's some people who have wells and we'll talk about that in a second, but if you have that every July, they are supposed to give you a water report. And if they don't send it to your home, it's something you can look up on like the municipality's website. So you should be able to go to your water utility and just look at the report and see what's there. And um, the next step, of course, is sort of understanding that report because it's written by, you know, well-meaning, but, you know, more scientifically minded folks. Um, there's a lot of, um, how do I say this? The EPA sort of regulates our water sources, and there's just a lot of learning to do in terms of what is acceptable. So, you know, I and Aaron would both advocate for a poison as a poison as a poison and they every all the poisons should be at zero. But in fact, there's just a lot of different ways that we create regulations based on whether it's um, money stuff or, you know, like budget type things or health advisories based on the science. And so sometimes you'll see like certain chemicals can have a certain amount, a certain amount can be in your water a certain, you know, usually a part per million or part per trillion. Um, and it seems weird because you're like, wow, that I don't want any of that in my water. But in fact, um, there are these sort of legal limits. Um, and there's also sort of health advisories and there's all these different regulations. So the book is really helpful in sort of explaining and breaking that down. But, you know, the simple thing is either you have your water, um, it's called a consumer confidence report um, from your water municipality, or if you're someone who has a well, which is actually quite a lot of us um, in the US, you need to have your well tested and have it tested on a regular basis. And you can find like an EPA certified lab that will test your water and give you those results. Because actually a lot of the contamination problems that Aaron has dealt with in different communities, it's in wells. And a lot of it's because, you know, here's folks living in a rural area thinking, okay, we're, we're fine. We're, you know, we're not really near things, but in fact, you know, a couple towns over a few miles away, there might be some industry or agriculture that is secretly putting stuff into the water. And, you know, you don't find out until again, everybody shows up having cancer or having other health issues. And um, so that's sort of what we encourage people to be more proactive to really understand, okay, what's your water source? What's in it? And then try to find filters that would be appropriate for any of those contaminants. I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, my dad has well water and he always thinks, oh, I have well water. I'm great. You know, yeah, and <laughs> there are a lot of great wells, but you have to be mindful and make sure I think, you know, it's it's up to you. And, you know, a lot of us, I mean, left to our own devices, we probably don't want to go to the dentist every year or right these these things. And I think you got to sort of put it in that category of getting your water tested once at least once a year. And what would you say are good water filters for your home? So there's a lot of variation, again, depending. I always want you to sort of figure out what sort of contaminants you have and then try to match the filter. Um, but one type of filter that will kind of take out almost everything is reverse osmosis. Um, and that can be like a whole, a whole home filtration, or you can also get something like to sit on your um, either at the, the tap or just, you know, you can get, get one that is on your um, counter. 
Um, the only thing about reverse osmosis is it takes out everything. So it's funny, but water actually does have trace minerals. Um, and so if you're going to do reverse osmosis, I do encourage folks to either, you know, you can buy sort of trace minerals to add back into the water or, you know, put a little sea salt, put some lemon, that kind of thing to just sort of remineralize the water. Um, I personally have a Berkey filter and I think Berkeys are great. They are also do a pretty good job of filtering out like 99% of the unwanted things. Um, and so they're a little more expensive than some of the other uh, counter filters, but they do a really great job. Um, and again, if, if you know, like there's some folks who know like, okay, our water tends to come out a little brown, which is maybe mineral stuff, like maybe there's lead or something like that. I would really encourage folks like that to really research, okay, what's the best filter to get out lead? Or, you know, if you have, there's a huge, um, there's this whole uh, family of chemicals called PFAS um, and we're finding out that they're everywhere. And so uh, reverse osmosis is really great for PFAS chemicals. And so if you know that you have that kind of thing, then I would go for that. Something that I do that is not necessarily something Aaron recommends, but my husband and I also um, collect spring water. So we're <laughs> very into, so many springs um, that you can find throughout the country are deep, deep into the earth. And so they're from a place um, and time that was before we had a lot of this industrial and agricultural runoff. And so I drink spring water and love it. And a lot of times you can also find bottled spring water um, you do have to be careful because um, bottled water companies are very sneaky. Um, and there's a lot of things that sort of look like this beautiful mountain with like a fresh <laughs> waterfall, but in fact, it's just tap water. Um, and so, um, yeah, you have to sort of read your labels and be mindful, but um, there are a few companies out there doing real spring water. Um, that's really lovely. And I just, I feel that um, the energy of that water is really lovely. And again, has all those minerals and and great, great things for you. I was going to ask you because we, my husband and I went to Italy and we love the Aquapana water. Yes, I love Aquapana. <laughs> Do you like that? Yeah. And we actually, there was a store here that we could find some in glass bottles. So we bought some and oh, it just tastes so good. And I'm thinking, I hope this is really good, clean water because it sure seems like it. It is. Yeah. And, and it's so funny that you say that because the body really knows, right? It's like there's some water that you drink. You know, I mean, I'm not opposed to tap water. I do think if, you know, there are some places that are that are filtering it correctly um, and it's still the best way to get our water. Right. It's the least expensive. You know, I think many of us need to sort of push our municipalities to do more to make sure that that water is clean. But, you know, filtered water, it is a little bit dead, whereas the spring water has a little more life to it. And I think, you know, our, our body kind of knows it every time we go to the spring and we just taste that water, it really feels lovely. And there, there is a great website called findaspring.com. If you're interested in like learning about spring water in that way, or yes, the Aquapanas, the mountain Valley, there are some lovely, um, bottled spring water that you can, you can get at the store. What do you think about Fiji water? I don't know if that's just a gimmick. Yeah, I think a lot of those ones, when you look at the label, you actually will see Pepsi or Coca-Cola or some of these larger Nestle. Um, there's a lot. There's I In the book, we write a little bit about bottled water. and There's some more detail in there. But in general, my, my advice is read the label. You know, plastic is obviously not a great thing for um, our bodies, for the environment. Um, you know, I get it that, you know, if you're flying or you're in a place where that's the only option, like, please drink the water. But, you know, as much as you can avoid it, um, that is the better choice in my mind. Now, just to wrap up this section, I could talk to you forever about all this stuff because it's so interesting. <laughs> just any last advice for someone who might have cancer or just finishing treatment, what would be your, your best advice for somebody? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just have so much like love and respect for folks going through cancer. And, you know, I'm, I feel very grateful. I haven't been through that journey myself. And so I don't know that I can properly give advice in the way that someone like you could, but in general, it feels like the, the research that's out there is just so much around lifestyle, you know, get back to you, take time to breathe, you know, find some kind of meditation practice, walking in nature, 
Um, you know, I write a little bit in the, in the book about um, the blue zones and, you know, which are these places in the world where people naturally live to be about 100 years old with very little medical intervention. And, um, and I love this concept that people, you know, it's a, it's a combination of what they're eating and the lifestyle that they live. And these people tend to have a lot of friends. Um, you know, that community aspect is so important. They usually have some kind of spiritual practice. And again, it's not necessarily about practicing a particular type of religion or meditation practice, but just something that helps you connect to the larger picture. <laughs> um, you know, I think also I'm encouraged because I feel like more people are talking about it these days, but just finding our joy, you know, there is so much horrible news out there and stressful things going on. And, you know, it can really wreak havoc on our minds and our bodies. And so, you know, letting yourself have some kind of joy in your life, that's only for you and doesn't make any sense. You know, I think that a lot of us also get this notion of like, oh, okay, I'm a cancer survivor. Now I'm going to go to yoga or I'm going to, you know, and, and there could be a rigidness in that too. You know, listen, if you love ballroom dance, go dance, you know, go do salsa, go, you know, maybe you love baking pies and, you know, I'm maybe not encouraging you to eat the pies every night, but you give them away <laughs> or, you know, find these, these sweet things in life that bring us joy, because I think that really um, helps you to sort of understand what you're living for and why you might be making some of these other healthy choices. You know, it's ultimately not about the green juice. It's about the life that you get when you drink the green juice, right? That you get to, whether again, hanging out with your, you know, children, your grandchildren, you know, having a mission in life, you know, feeling excited about the work that you do. You know, I think some, there's a lot of folks, um, survivors who kind of shift their life, you know, kind of realize, okay, I don't want to work at this bank every day or, you know, whatever is the thing. And, I really encourage that more than anything else. I think that it's so important to live a life that you love and it's going to look different for each of us. You know, I can't possibly tell you what is the thing that you love um, and why you love it. But if you do like go for it and go for it all the way. <laughs> uh, I love, love, love this advice. And one thing that stuck out to me is you said, get back to you. And I think that is so important because I remember, and I do talk to so many cancer survivors in my situation, I was just going along. I was young. I was going along with what society wanted for me, what my parents wanted for me, what I thought, what I thought I wanted at the time, but it made me really self-reflect. And I think so many people do that. And like you said, do something that you absolutely love that brings you joy and that excites you. And you I know so many people too that have changed careers, just like you said. So love that. Yeah. Now, are you ready for random round? Oh, yes. <laughs> We're already there. Great. So fill in the blank. Freedom to you is. Mm. I really think it's permission to try. <laughs> I think it's, you know, permission to try. I also think freedom is about choices and, you know, whether that's the food we eat or, you know, the words that we use, um, you know, in my life, I feel a lot of connection to freedom when it comes to my creativity and, you know, being able to choose different forms of creativity that bring me again, that joy, that mission driven excitement. Now the last show you binged and loved. <laughs> okay. So, um, Obviously, we're in pandemic times, so a lot of us are watching many shows, but I really loved um, this show on HBO called Hacks, um, and it's these two women at different stages of their careers um, who come together, and I just thought it was such a beautiful show, such good character development, um, such strong female characters. I love, and it's funny, So, and I love that. I do a lot of um, heavy stuff during the day in terms of research and writing. And so when I, when I binge, I love a fun, funny show. <laughs> Way to escape. And it just won a lot of Emmys, I think. I think just so. The I mean, they're so, yeah. Jean Smart, she was the, the, one of the lead actresses. I mean, she's, she's a legend. She's so wonderful and she's brilliant on the show. If you could have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? 
So I thought a lot about this because there's so many people right now that I would love to have conversations about, like head of EPA or whatnot. But um, my truest desire would be to have a conversation with my Nana, who died of cancer when I was 13. And just the, the thought of having a catch-up conversation for an hour with her is just the thing that would feel the most amazing. She was one of the funniest people I know, um, so wise and, and just gone way too soon. So I'd love to have a conversation with her. Oh, it's beautiful. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Freak out and feel. (laughs) I think, um, I have learned over the years that the things, um, you know, I think as a culture, we resist some of some emotions, particularly things like fear or shame or, Um, doubt. And my sense of it is that when we actually just let ourselves feel it, it goes, we, we work through it so much quicker than when we resist. And so, um, and I think sometimes just admitting it too is helpful either to ourselves or to a trusted friend or partner. Um, You know, I always find like, you know, letting somebody know, Hey, I'm actually feeling a little nervous or afraid about this. Like, can we talk about that is, you know, it just takes a little bit of vulnerability, but then you really get more of what you need when you can express yourself and, and feel those feelings fully. Great advice. What is your favorite go-to snack? <laughs> so snacking is an interesting thing. I'm okay. I'm the kind of person that will either snack all day <laughs> or eat big meals and have no snacks. <laughs> So, but honestly, my favorite, one of my favorite things is like a snack dinner, (laughs) which would be like hummus and carrots and celery and olives and maybe a little cheese or like, I love a good snack plate, you know, with different kinds of things. And in general, like if I did need a snack during the middle of the day, like I would love, I always, I'm very, I feel like I'm a little basic in that way, but I really just love carrots and hummus. (laughs) It's so funny what you said about a snack dinner, because I do that a lot at four o'clock in the afternoon. And then I'm like, uh oh, I'm not hungry for dinner. And of yeah. course my husband wants dinner. <laughs> so it could be a little bit of a problem. True, it's true. But sometimes I tell him like, hey, I had my snack dinner and, you know, there's find something in the fridge. There. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's one simple thing that brings you joy? Mm. Um, so my husband and I have started this new routine where we do, um, a mini crossword in the morning and like usually with our coffee or our tea. And I, I just, I love games. I love word games. And it's like this funny thing where I'll just look at him in the morning. I'm like, is it time? <laughs> so my, the crossword has been bringing me a lot of joy. <laughs> What's on your nightstand? Oh my gosh. Well, my nightstand can get messy. Um, The first thing is that I have a thermometer. I track my temperature in the morning and that is for fertility and it works in both directions. So either for preventing pregnancy or if you want to have a pregnancy, but I also just encourage women who are still menstruating (laughs) to like understand your body and know the different times, like your temperature changes throughout your cycle. And, you know, you have a lower temperature and then when you start to ovulate, your temperature goes up. And I just have found that really cool to learn more about my body and and its natural rhythms. Um, I usually have like a hair tie on my (laughs) nightstand. There's a big crystal. Um, And then of course um, I'm such a book nerd, but there's usually like many, I have a Kindle, but then I also, um, a lot of times at night before bed, I like to read, um, you know, like a hardcover book. And so I have many books um, on my (laughs) nightstand right now. I'm actually, um, I took a novel writing class this summer. So I've been reading more novels. So I'm actually reading The Great Gatsby right now, which is really sweet. (laughs) And then um, Nine Perfect Strangers, which is a show on TV, but I'm reading the book version as well. Sounds great. Is that good? Because sometimes when you see the show, Yes, it's different than the show. So I'm, and I'm early into it, but there is just a little bit more, you know, novels are, there's just more time to explain things. Whereas show, I mean, these shows go on, like they have a lot of episodes, but it's still um, screenwriting and writing for, yeah, writing for the screen is like a very tight kind of thing. Whereas like the novel is just a lot more details and you kind of get a little more backstory. So you can really use your imagination. Yeah, I, I'm loving it. And it's hard because, I, um, 
for my work and for my research, I, I tend to be a skimmer. Like I, I speed read a lot of things. And when I started getting back into novels, I was realizing that I was missing a lot of the details. So for me, novel writing is actually a very like kind of meditative where I really have to slow down and savor the words and read in a much, much different fashion than what I do during the day. <laughs> What's your favorite form of exercise? So <clears throat> I talk about this in the book. I'm such a dabbler. I've really run the gamut, but currently I have a gym and I lift heavy weights and I love it, <laughs> but I am it's so funny. I've traditionally always been a yoga dance person and I still do some yin yoga and some Kundalini yoga, but I honestly am at the gym probably four or five days a week these days, like lifting heavy stuff. <laughs> it's wow. really it's really fun. I love it. It's um, That's great. And I think when you love something, then you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a wonderful gym. Like there's a little community there of people that we all kind of like get excited to see one another. And also um, anybody who has been in sort of spiritual communities or yoga, or, you know, there's a lot of meditative stuff. And I, there's something about lifting weights that really like grounds you in your body. And I've just been really enjoying that experience. So I encourage you, um, if you're someone who's always been maybe more on the lighter side of things to maybe try, you know, with, with support, you need to have the right folks around you to, if you understand that stuff, but I think it's really fun. And what's one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Mm, well, so many things, but actually, so we moved in March and, um, this house that I'm living in right now, I have a beautiful view of the mountains and I can walk into town. Um, and we have really sweet neighbors. So I'm actually just really grateful for my home and, and having a little cozy spot, a new and, and something new, I think again, during pandemic times, um, we all went a little stir crazy in our, in our houses and it was fun to get to move and, and have a new space to, to play and create in. And I, then I just want to ask you how people can get in touch with you, learn more about your projects. Sure. So I have a website, SuzanneBoothby.com. Um, I'm on social at Suzanne Boothby. Um, it's B as in boy, O-O-T-H-B as in boy, Y. Um, and then also, um, Aaron and I have a newsletter called the brockovichreport.com and you can go there and we're writing about, um, water issues and a lot of, um, environmental contamination stuff. So if you're into learning about some of those things, um, we do have some inspirational stories as well as some of the, some of the scary stuff. So we try to have a nice mix of both things, but if you're into that, um, come, come join that conversation as well. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Suzanne. It was just a pleasure meeting you and talking to you. And I feel like there's so many similarities. So again, just thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. And same, like, let's get together and talk more at any point. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.